0: Good morning, Flagler. The doctors are in. I'm Dr. Scott Cleos.
1: And I'm Dr. Andrea Cleos. And we
0: are here once again to talk about your health and health issues right here in Flagler, Volusia, and St. Johns County. Andrea and I just got back from a... Wonderful European trip. We have to go back once a year back to Mecca to go see all of Andrea's family. And she's got family members in Italy and uh, in London and in Berlin. And we made a tour of all those places. And I got to tell you, going to Europe in September is awesome. Now, I have an N of one because we usually go sometime during the summer, end of June, beginning of July. And uh, because Andrea has family members that live uh, in Verona which is kind of in the lowlands near the airport, uh, that place at the end of summer is as hot and humid as Florida. So it can be the beginning miserable. beginning of summer, you mean? Beginning of summer, right. Yeah. And um, her mom's family is up in the Alps uh, in a little town called Carrizolo in the Trentino region. And sometimes in the summer, it um, you know it can actually be pretty rainy. So we've been up there sometimes where it's just been miserable the whole week we were up there. Uh, But with this trip in September, the weather was gorgeous everywhere we went, everywhere we went. So it was, you know, not too hot in Verona. It was very pleasant up in the mountains, a little cool on some nights, but uh, tolerable. And the same was true when we went to Berlin and even uh, in uh, Wimbledon. And I found out that I had a very hard time staying out of the beer gardens in Germany and the British pubs over in Wimbledon because I love the ambiance and I really like the beer, you know. So, um, I went over to Wimbledon and Andrea's uh, cousin's husband, his name's Chris. We'd every we, we he has a, a pub right at the end of his street called Alexandra's, and we'd been there years ago. And every time he and it's I, kind I would like walk friends, by, right? Oh yeah, I mean you know, and Those they were so friends friendly way back in the eighties. Not friends. Um, Was it, uh, Friends, it was like oh, what um, was that bar called? Oh, what was I remember? I can't remember what Ted. Oh, uh, I don't remember the name of it. Yeah, Cheers. Cheers. It was Cheers. called Cheers. Cheers. That's, That's what right. it was. I yeah. Definitely like Cheers. It's like that, and they were so friendly in there, and they make it so pleasant to to be in there. I, I like more of the Weiss beers, the Heffa more of the German style stuff. But you know, I also like the stouts that they have. You know, like the the Guinness type beers that they had over in London. But, you know, every time we'd walk by Alessandra's, Chris and I would be out walking. He goes, you want to pop in for a pint? And I'm like, yes, I do. Of course I do. And we'd go in and it would be so good. And he'd be like, should we get another? And I'm like, well, maybe a half. And he goes, well, why don't we just do another pint? I'm like, "Okay." And so, you know, (laughs) I do that a couple of times every day. And uh, it was so good. But I found out that my limit uh, for doing something like that is about three weeks. Because the last day, Andrew and I were in the Gatwick airport, and we were staying uh, in the the airport hotel, and I was eating some breakfast, and every time I took a swallow of something, I got this stabbing pain right in the middle of my chest, so I think I gave myself a little esophagitis from the, you know, drinking too much beer and drinking all that coffee when I was over
1: there. Right, so So we were staying in Wimbledon, the last night we stayed at the airport hotel, but between Wimbledon and Berlin, where you were drinking a lot with Ulf, too, and drinking a lot of coffee, and then a lot of coffee in Italy, and a lot of beer. Yeah. in the bars and the outs. I'm detoxing.
0: Alps. I'm in a detox mode right yeah,
1: now. Yeah, so we all intermittent kind of fast vibe when we are on holiday. Well, some of us do. That's why I'm I,
0: afraid to retire. If Andrea tells me yeah. I have to retire, I'm, I well, might I might be in the pubs that? all the time. I, I
1: Thank goodness I didn't do too much of that. A no, bit.
0: Andrea is better. She contained herself. Yeah. I'm weak. But I admit it, I'm weak. But, but those of you who it. may
1: be having some... Uh, indigestion, or heartburn, if you are a heavy coffee drinker, and alcohol drinker, they both stimulate acid reflux and heartburn and as, uh, esophagitis. Um, so make sure that you eliminate those toxicants so that you don't have those terrible symptoms. And remember not to confuse that with heart disease. That well, can sometimes, it's, sometimes it's
0: tough. You know, mm. if there's any doubt, go see your doctor. because Absolutely. they can. go mine, to an emergency if it's mine, severe. I mean, and diff- it
1: continues to get worse. Right,
0: mine, the, the difference was mine wasn't exertional. It's not like I had chest pain walking to the the, um, the the terminal. My chest pain was every time I took a swallow of something. So I knew it was esophageal. But, you know, mid-sternal chest pain can... Be caused by reflux, and it can be caused uh, by you know coronary artery disease, and you got to make sure it's uh, one or the other because they tr- they're treated vastly different, and the consequences can be very different as well. But you know, fortunately, mine resolved pretty quick. I didn't do too much damage. I came back, and Andrea put me back on a strict diet and told me uh, that if I went drinking a beer, choices. yeah, she just told me I had to eat healthy. I've been doing my intermittent fasting, gotten rid of some of my weight. I gained about eight pounds which is about normal for me. I usually tell people I gained four to five kilos, which is probably, you know, eight to 10 or 11 pounds. Uh, so I was right in there and, um, uh, but I know how to make it go away. And that's what's great
1: about shield of life, our program, because we, we teach you how to get it off, but then we teach you, you can have fun. We just show you how to get back to who you were after that happened so one of the cool things we did we did a lot of cool things we Wait, really... before we
0: go on with that just remember your thought because i want you to talk about that but you know I, it got me thinking again about, you know, c- calories and, and pounds. And we've talked about this on the radio in the past. Uh, but you got to remember that a pound of fat, which to us, you know, you look at, well, I only lost one pound, which sounds insignificant. But if you actually look at a pound of fat, it fills up a plate. I mean, a, a pound of fat is a lot. A lot. A lot. And you got to remember that one pound of fat from previous research has about, thirty five hundred kilocalories in one pound of fat right so if you are if you assume that the average adult needs about two thousand kilocalories a day um, for just existing if you're just going to maintain if you're doing that intermittent fasting the best that you can help hope for let's say you eat nothing all right nothing so if you need 2,000 calories every day so on day one if you eat nothing else and you just burn that fat you're not even going to burn one pound of fat right I mean if it's 2,000 you still got another 1,500 so you got to assume you're going to lose about one pound every two days that's a reasonable amount of weight loss if you're trying to utilize your reserve and anything more than that is just going to be water so you can't be disappointed if you fast for or you do the intermittent fasting for three or four days and you say i've only lost two pounds because that's about the rate i've been going right you know i mean I've, i I'm, I'm not back down to my ideal weight but i have slowly over the last week lost about three or four pounds which is all i can expect so right.
1: well and one of other- thing that makes you lose weight more rapidly is if you're burning more rapidly because you're exercising and you're weightlifting. So you're, you, you know, increasing muscle mass and you're actually, you know, doing more cardiovascular exercise than would be expected. You're going to actually learn, lose weight at a more rapid rate. But
0: again, you know, you've got to do that appropriately because, um, you know the old uh, formula of two twenty minus your age gives you your estimated max, and they uh, presume that you know most of our muscles, like our heart, our skeletal muscles, they preserve, they prefer to burn fat, fatty acids for fuel. But there's a caveat. Because fatty acids are difficult to mobilize, your body can switch and your muscles can start burning carbohydrates. So if you go to carbohydrate metabolism, you're not going to be burning your fat. You're just burning up your, your sugars in your blood, which will then give you this uh, rebound desire to replenish those sugars by eating a high-starchy or sugary food. So you want to stay at about 65 to 70% of your estimated heart max uh, to preferentially burn those fatty acids, and that will help in that process maybe burn them a little more efficiently. And I've noticed over the years, because, you know, I've maintained my heart rate in that 65 to 70% range, I think those mechanisms become revved up, and you become more efficient at burning fat, because if you're always you know, if you're doing nothing or you're always exercising at 100% of your estimated max, you train your body to preferentially burn carbohydrates and then you're going to get stuck in this rut where your body doesn't want to burn your fat reserves because it assumes you're going to use them one day and you just keep burning your carbohydrates and there's this vicious cycle where you you deplete your blood sugar and then your body craves to put that back and not burn the fat. So I think it's imperative that you understand that physiology. And the goal is to try to preferentially burn those fat reserves when you've been through an episode of overindulgence, like we've been over the last three weeks.
1: Right, exactly. And that becomes very important too, to help you know that calculation. So 220 minus your age, that's your total, that's your max heart rate. And you're estimated and you want to take 60 to 75% of that. And that's where you want your heart rate to be when you go to the gym and you're working out. That's exactly right. And I can almost tell
0: where my heart rate is now because I've been doing it for so long. I go on the elliptical and I'll grab the little heart rate monitor, you know, on the the machine. And I, I can tell now when I'm about at that 120, which is where I keep my heart rate, and uh, I can almost tell where I, where I need to be. So I've gotten to a point where my body knows where it should be. But uh, my muscles, you know, this old fallacy that you got to provide your muscles energy before you go to the gym, that is BS. I'm telling you right now, you know, that's your brain tricking you into going and eating stuff that you really don't need. I can fast and go to the gym, you know, in the morning or in the afternoon. And I will tell you, my muscles actually feel stronger if I don't weigh them down with a lot of nutrition. You know, you burn what's up because you actually keep, um, you know, fat stores in, um, in the muscle itself.
1: Well, nutritional stores, yeah.
0: Nutritional stores. So, you know, the muscle has to take, you have to take those free fatty, or I'm sorry, the triglycerides out of the fat cells, and then you... Push that stuff into the muscles in the form of free fatty acids. Well, and that's and the what they're using. And the muscle also glycogen, too. Right. So it can use these these carbohydrate stores if you're going into, like, a high exertional state or something prolonged. So when you're running a marathon and you're, you're giving everything you've got for two and a half hours you're preferentially burning carbohydrates at that point, right? It's no longer fat, Yeah, and then and you that's, can deplete that. And yeah. you can deplete that. And that's when these people, quote, hit crash, the wall. Yeah. They crash because, you know, they have nothing left. The, the muscles are working too hard to actually effectively use uh, fat for metabolism. So they switch over to the carbohydrates, the glycogens. And, uh, and once that's depleted, they have nothing. So you see these people just collapse. They can't move anymore.
1: So. You know I had an interesting patient the other day who came in to visit me and uh weighed over three hundred pounds three twenty maybe about five ten or so and uh all his weight was really in his chest i mean he had a huge, huge chest he had big thighs, but i mean not really they were normal kind of but i mean he had muscular thighs, I should say and um but he had this huge chest and uh, I put him on the body composition scale, and he his muscle mass for his body was 185 pounds. Of the 300 pounds, almost 200 pounds were muscles that were throughout his body, but a huge chest, and he had sleep apnea. And he's like, you know, I just can never lose weight, and I'm like going... And he goes to the gym and he does weightlifting about an hour and a half every day. And then he does some yoga and Tai Chi. So he's flexible despite his big size. But I'm like, dude, you got to stop doing weightlifting, man. You're just, you're, you're, the sleep apnea is because you got way too big of a chest for your body mass. And you really got to understand. And when we teach you all in Shield of Life about nutrition, one, we don't count calories. We teach you how to eat. Um, and how to fast. And then we also go through the breakdown of the type of exercise and how to vary it because it's really not just about weightlifting. It's about cardio and the right cardio. It's about um, it's about uh, stretching and yoga, which Scott went into detail a couple of weeks back when he talked to you about, you know, what it was like when... You know, for our anniversary back in the in the um, springtime when we went to um, out to Costa Rica and we were doing more stretching and yoga, which he wasn't akin to and wasn't sure he liked it. But then after really has embraced it. And then the other thing we encourage That's you all to the do young
0: girls in there doing that booty popping
1: is plyometrics and plyometrics are short burst exercises that help build short uh, muscle fibers and that helps bulk muscle more quickly so really exercise should be divided between those four categories and um, and depending on if you're trying to lose weight or you maintain weight, the du- in du- the duration of that varies of each one of those. And each one of those have impacts and benefits to the brain and the gut biome. So God designed us to move and to move in different ways. And way back when we didn't have these specific things divided up. We just did them by gardening, by working our outdoor lives. But now that we're all inside and sitting or at desk by hunting
0: and desk and hunting
1: and gathering, and now by sitting at our desks, we're just we're just kind of, we need to understand the dynamics of what we had and be a part of that outdoor life as well as those different types of movements. All
0: right, we're going to take a quick break. If you have any questions for myself or Dr. Andrew, as always, you can email us at the Doctors is in, D O C T O R I S I N at WNZF.com. You're listening to the doctor is in on WNZF News Radio, 1550 AM, 94.9 FM. Stay tuned, we'll be back in a moment. Radiology Associates has been a trusted name in Volusia, Flagler, and St. Johns County for over 50 years. Radiology Associates is the first and only radiology provider to bring our neighbors of Flagler County 3-Tesla MRI, 64-slice CT, and time-of-flight PET CT in our Palm Coast Imaging and Town Center Imaging locations. This is our community. Our doctors live here and strive to provide only the best care to you, our neighbors. For more information about Radiology Associates, visit us online at radiologyassociatesimaging.com. And we're back. For those of you just joining us, Andrew and I were giving a synopsis of our European odyssey. We went over for about three weeks and uh, really enjoyed the fam- Andrew's family and guest parents over in Germany. Saw some awesome sights. We were uh, over in Germany, and we went to a couple of uh, little towns over there. went to the Baltic Sea, and uh, over in that area, we stayed in a town called uh, Stralsund. And in that town, their claim to fame, supposedly, uh, it was a, a gentleman who supposedly discovered ox- oxygen, and we we associate that with like Joseph Priestley and Lavoisier, who actually, you know, described it in more detail. But I think this guy, his name was Carl Wilhelm. Schilhoff, I think, was it? Yeah, Sch- Sch- no, Schilhoff is where we stayed. His name was Schiel. Schiel, because Schilhoff Sch- 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 is the birthplace, right, right? right? I don't know German. So yeah, Carl Wilhelm Schiel. And this guy, you know, back then they used to think combustion was uh, a a combination of, of the elements, and like earth and fire and all this other stuff. And there was like this... Um, this uh, ether that flowed through the air, and he said that this ether would combine with this particular gas, which was oxygen, to support combustion he didn 't actually name it, but so we stayed in a hotel that was the birthplace of of Ershiel, uh, you know called Wilhelm Schiel, and right around the corner there was a, a piazza and our plaza i don 't know what you call that in german, but they um they had a whole bunch of little cafes and there was a restaurant that we really liked. And I walked in and it was amazing because on one of the walls, right to the left, when you walked in, they had all these, uh, Nobel laureate, German Nobel laureates. And they had, um, you know, guys like, uh, Max Planck and they had, um, who was the writer that we saw his house? Do you remember his Uh, name? Well,
1: that was when we were in, um,
0: yeah, but that was the house. But when we were there, they had him listed up on the, on the wall. I can't remember his name. And then they also have Will, Wilhelm Röntgen, who discovered X-rays. So first thing I see is a picture of Wilhelm Röntgen. I went and took a picture with, with him up there, sent it to my colleagues and some of the people I work with. It was awesome. But they were all Nobel German Nobel laureates. And um, after that, we went out to a place called Penamunda. And this is near the Baltic Sea, and it's where the Germans developed the V-2 rocket. And, you know, that's kind of Kind of a sordid past because it was uh, designed to basically wreak havoc on London, and the V stood for vengeance, and that was the Germans' way to, uh, late in the war to retaliate against um, England for the bombing of Berlin. So they would send in these ballistic rockets and just you know devastate sections of London, uh, but. You know it also ushered in the age of rocketry and a lot of the information that was gleaned from that project basically got us to the moon because uh, they go through all of this history of the guys that were in charge of that and they were nazis i mean you know the guy that was the head was started off as a 25 year old and he was an early rocket scientist and his name was werner von braun and after the war you know there were some stipulations about bringing nazis over and employing them in the United States, it was illegal so they had to whitewash his his record a little bit, but the guy was um, basically instrumental in developing our space program. You know, the, the Apollo rockets and all the rockets uh, prior to that, they wouldn't have been feasible at that point in time without his expertise. So he's the guy that kind of had a, you know an interesting life as the leader of the developer of the V-2 rocket, which was a weapon of destruction, and then continuing in the latter half of his life as the developer of the space program in the United States. So that was really, really cool. Um, we also went to an old town called Lubeck, and the interesting part of all these European cities have their interesting history. And Lubeck, again, was on the Baltic Sea but it was nowhere near Berlin. But, you know, you got to remember during World War II, there was a lot of um, conflict between countries, especially Germany and England, because, you know, you had Winston Churchill who stood up to Hitler when no one else would. So they had some kind of personal, you know, vengeance against each other. And so, after Germany retaliated for the bombing of Berlin, they wanted to test their new, London wanted to test their new napalm bombs, right? So what they did is they went to this beautiful old, You know, town um, in uh, the Baltic Sea in Germany, and they went in and they sent in like planes to basically blow the roofs off all of these houses, and then they dropped napalm all over the city to watch the timbers burn, just to see how it would work. So they picked the city just because of the location of the houses and the construction, and they knew they were made of a lot of timber, and it worked, but that's how they figured that out. So, you know, even Lubeck was not immune to the ravages of war just because of where the they were and the construction that they utilized, but very very interesting stuff.
1: Yeah, one of my favorite places that was Thomas Mann. Thomas
0: Mann, that's exactly Thomas right. Mann was uh, the writer whose hometown was, was
1: in Lübeck. Um, very good writer, excellent writer. Um, and we went to the National Park Center in Königstuhl, um, so and cool. that was so neat because it was the edge of the Baltic Sea where the glaciers had melted, so that. Calcified rock that was there, and their ridges were so dynamic. And many writers, right white, bright white. Many writers went there to yeah. to write and present. And there was in a phenomenal museum up there that was just so excellent that the um, um, the world, uh, what is that? WWF, the world.
0: Wildlife Fund.
1: The World Wildlife Fund Foundation actually invests in education. And they had several different things in the museum that they funded and perhaps funded the majority of that museum. But the museum really went into detail about the wildlife there and around the world and the impact of the soil, which got me so excited because how the soil is getting destroyed around our world, with the degradation, with all the chemicals and the waste and the population growth, we're destroying a lot of our soil and the insects are dying off. And we heard that too when we were actually in uh, Costa Rica. And when we start having this happen, the insects are part of the breakdown of the soil so that the soil becomes more nutrified so that it provides nutrients for the crops and the foods we eat. But when we destroy the soil or the animals that make up the soil to help break down, to make that soil more rich, then the foods we eat are not as rich as well. And they had a wonderful, um, picture. It was actually a, um, it was like a monument type thing that they made. And it, um, it was written in German and it actually had, it was a, a sweet panda bear that was carved out. And the top of the panda bear actually said, uh, let me find the picture. I just had it here. Um, Are you
0: talking about the WWF panda bear? Yeah. It, it was said, so cool.
1: Welt keine Welt. So without the forest, there will be no world. And it was so profound and it's what I see and why in Shield of Life, not only do we teach you the right nutrients and the right nutrient balance to have for your own body and your own gut biome, but we also try to teach you and encourage you to start doing some simple gardening and basic appreciation of soil so that you can have, you know, healthy herbs and vegetables because they're really what help us heal. So I really, really love that. That was great.
0: The other thing that was cool is that panda, and you, you guys would recognize it if you saw it, but you know that, that German ingenuity, they, would, they had like cross sections of the panda, and if you saw it from the side, you wouldn't even know what it was. And then you come around to the front and they superimpose all those cross sections on top of each other, it looks exactly like the WWF panda. I mean, it's really, really cool. So, you know, the classic one that you see. But uh, the other thing that was there, do you remember that bridge that went over? Oh, yeah, that was really nice So another awesome thing of German engineering. So they had a suspended bridge. Uh, There was nothing holding it up except one post in the front. And then it was completely suspended off of this post with multiple cables coming down. And it allowed you to walk over these limestone cliffs without damaging any of the the environment. So, you know, we could look at it. It, we could appreciate it, but not traipse through it and actually destroy the the local floor you know, or the you know the infrastructure. So that was pretty cool, and also it was probably really dangerous if they let people off on that cliff. Well, they used you could to fall, back yeah, in
1: the nineteen eighties until people
0: fell off or of or it.
1: Seventies, I think. Ulf were out there with their their um, Uta's aunt, and they remember walking. But I think over time it, it eroded a lot of. Um, of the stone and, of course, uh, destroyed the, uh, the fauna and Well, flora. the other thing
0: is nowadays... And it's probably, also
1: not safe. Yeah, the, so. the,
0: nowadays with people being idiots with their selfies and their phones, they probably have more and more people falling off the edge of this thing because, you know, they're like, oh, get a picture of me right here. And then they slip and it's unforgiving. I mean, you fall down the edge of this thing, you're not coming back.
1: <laughs> so. The other thing that was really very well appreciated in Germany, especially northern Germany, because that's where we were, was... Um, was how many windmills they had and how they really utilized solar and windmills to regenerate energy so that they didn't have to use, you know... Fossil fuel. Fossil fuel. They're
0: really into the renewable energy, which is awesome, because they told... Didn't Wolf quote, like, it was like 30 or 40% of all of their energy in Germany comes from renewable sources, which is awesome.
1: And we should do more of that. We should be
0: doing more of that. And we're getting
1: better with solar, but it was amazing how many windmills... The other interesting thing that we didn't know was that the Baltic Sea, excuse me, is a little bit of like a shallow sea.
0: It is a shallow and, as a sea. result
1: of being a shallow sea, they had lots of windmills out in the sea area that would help take in the wind and generate energy, which was very good because when we put those sol- when we put those windmills out in farmland it it really creates a problem because they have noise and actually can make disruptive noises to the f- the farmers and the people that live nearby because when the air turbulence is it becomes um, unstable? It actually can make pop noises and swirl noises and high pitch noises, and it's it's not comfortable for the people who live in the surrounding areas. So out in that um, basically shelf area where the ocean wasn't too um, deep and it was kind of protected from the greater ocean, um, it was a wonderful place to utilize for generating energy. And the it's other thing cool. that
0: we discovered from Ulf, who is an engineer is that... Mathematician And engineer. a mathematician engineer, is that, you know, all of, when you go see those windmills, they all have three blades on them. And I thought that would be the most efficient way to do those. And I said, well, maybe if they had more blades, it would be more efficient. He goes, no, actually, he goes... The most efficient one is one blade. He said, if you have one blade, they have shown that this thing will be most efficient. He says, the problem is, aesthetically, it looks funny with one blade or two blades. So they decided on three blades was the minimum to make them aesthetically appealing so people weren't upset about the appearance of these things. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. You know, It's just three blades. And I'm like, well, why don't they have a whole bunch of blades? He says, no, it becomes less efficient with more blades because each one of those blades has weight. So... You can actually do the same thing, possibly even better, with a single blade.
1: And some people argue; they say, "Oh, windmills are terrible because of the it's hard to break them down, and you and they they themselves become detrimental to the environment because the breakdown process." But Ulf explained to us that they're going through trying to really look at the best way to fix recycle that and them, recycle yeah. that. Um, but remember, we are destroying our Earth so rapidly with. Overutilization and, and not efficiency. And we really, really need to find other ways of fuel. Um, and so, you know, it's trying to find to see, that balance. We need
0: to take the lead of the Europeans. They're way ahead of us on this, I yeah. believe. So anyway, that's all the time we have. If you have any questions for myself or Dr. Andrew, as always, you can email us at the doctors and is and stay happy, stay healthy. We'll see you next time. The doctors are out. The doctor is in radio show paid
1: for by Radiology Associates.